Welcome to Freaks Chats. This is episode one. I'm Alan, and I'm joined by Magellan. Yay! Yay! It's a whole new world to see. <laughs> oh, we're back, everybody. We're back, and we're here with a brand new show. This is um, the start of our Freaks and Geeks podcast. Um, For some of you, we're not back at all. That's true. We're here. Welcome. For the first time. And we welcome you to the show. And we, yeah, to our recurring listeners and to our new listeners, welcome, welcome. Happy New Year. This is Freaks Chats. We watch two episodes of Freaks and Geeks every week. We talk about them. We talk about ourselves. We get a little bit real here here at Freaks Chats. Yeah, we're mixing it up. We're keeping it, keeping it fresh, keeping it GMO, keeping it... Farm fed, yeah. Keep grass keep, fed. Keeping it farm fed, grass fed in the box. Yeah, straight out the box, mint condition. Straight out the that. box, mint condition. That's sort of our motto. If you can just put all of that on the podcast art, keeping it fresh, keeping it GMO, keeping it farm, keeping it farm fed, grass fed in the box, straight chats. out the box, freaks chats. <laughs> I can fit that. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Great, thanks. No problem. But John, we watched two episodes of Freaks and Geeks. That we did, Sir Alan, that we did. Very exciting. We watched. Well, I'm not even going to say the seasons because, hey, y'all, this was a one-season show. of. There's only the one. There's the one. And it was how many episodes total? 18? 19? Did we determine this? 18. So gives you a little estimate of how many episodes there will be of this show. Um, One one could say nine or even ten if you include a recap. Ten, maybe. Yeah. We watched episode one. The pilot episode, very creative name. Uh, mm-hmm. And we also watched episode two, Beers and Weirs, mm-hmm. uh, which we'll talk about after the break. So let's get right into pilot episode, which was written by the show's creator, Paul Feig, a gentleman who we're going to be talking about a lot. And it was directed by Jake Kasdan, a friend of Paul Feig's. Uh, what did you think of the first episode of Freaks and Geeks? Oh, man. I mean, there's a reason that we wanted to do this show next So people that are familiar with our feed know that we just came off of doing a year's worth of watching Farscape, you know, this big sprawling space show. And we wanted to kind of bring it, bring it back home for a hot second and kind of hang out in a show that was a little bit slower, maybe, or just a little bit more grounded and definitely we've got that i mean this is this show is it's really enchanting it's something it's one that i think we've both watched before right correct is that true yes yeah um not for many many years um so a lot of this felt like i was kind of remembering it as i was watching it but kind of not um it was fresh enough that i feel like we can do a show about it and that's chill but i just i i just loved the naturalism of it and it 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 just it feels like these characters really are real people and Something that we'll talk about a little more, but I loved, I think the scene that kind of summed it up for me was when Lindsay, maybe it was the second episode? I don't remember. When does Lindsay meet, um, the first episode, she meets Seth Rogen's character and Jason Segel, like the whole Freaks crew. Yeah, the first That's episode. the first episode, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's just like the scene where she meets them and James Franco kind of jauntily sits with them and they all say things that are supposed to be jokes and like aren't funny in a way that is like very deliberate and feels very real. Um, and that's when I knew like this is a show that I'm really gonna like. Because any other show, any other like TV comedy show would have had them say something funny so that we would laugh at it in that moment. But instead, they said something that a teenage boy in that scenario would think was funny and wasn't funny. Right, exactly. 
just like some weird joke and they're like I, I i i immediately remember like the very first moments of buffy where she's going to the new school and the first thing we see of xander is him falling on the skateboard and uh willow is like hey what's the school thing like they all do their character archetype immediately and yeah what freaks and geese does with that is like well okay a lot of the show is is kind of breaking down the archetypes that we think people in high school fit into and coming to realize that they are in no way shape or form actually like that it's kind of like a big thesis of the whole show is we are not who we present ourselves to be uh and that first moment with all of the freaks is like oh these are just people these aren't even like we're not even going to try and give you the impression that they're like this is the cool one and this is the dumb one like they're just they just exist it's a really cool moment of like existence yeah yeah like how aggressively they don't characterize seth rogan's character at first really speaks to that point i think because he like you meet these characters the way that you would meet them in real life and some of these characters conceal themselves or present certain facades um some of them you kind of feel like you know a lot sooner like um for example i'm gonna not remember people's names but sam levine's character you kind of feel like you know him very quickly because he seems like the kind of person that is more forthright than everybody else so that i think i like like it doesn't it doesn't feel like the show is rendering archetypes it feels like the characters are themselves rendering the images that they would present to other people in their world exactly yeah and neil's character is a good example of that i think neil yes or the character of neil seth rogan's character ken is the probably the best example of that because he he defaults as just the stoner friend and we see like in the second episode when he's at the party which i was talking with you before we started recording like just this like weirdly honest portrayal of just like a person who is like not unhappy to be where they are but just kind of existing like he just he 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 exists Mm -hmm. within the show just to be that person um, and, yeah. and to not be a parody of himself. Um, but what I also want to get into is like, especially in the first episode, uh, although this show has very realistic portrayals of characters and very um, sort of like honest interpretations of high school, it's still um, at its core feels to me like a show that was created and written by someone who in some way had a romanticized version of high school or oh, wants yeah. to portray one. Like, yeah, it is a clean, it is like good things happen to people in this show. There's bad things, of course. But then like, the first episode ends with them dancing to come sail away by sticks. Like that's a, that's a cute mm-hmm. moment to end an episode on, but that's not incredibly realistic, you know? Right. Yeah. I I, I think um, there was a piece of, we're not going to do as much. There isn't as much like background information infrastructure around the show as there was around uh, Farscape, which we just did. So um, I'm going to kind of weave in background information that I found into our discussions a little bit. But I saw this piece of background info that said basically this pilot episode was shot in a real high school and then episodes past that sets were built to emulate the high school that they filmed in and they all of the hallway shots after the first episode were the same hallway set redressed to look like different hallways in the building. Oh, interesting. And that to me, that to me, like that makes a lot of sense. Like that speaks to this, the to what you're saying about how the show is at the end of the day an idealized representation of normal life. Because like it's a hallway and it's a realistic hallway, but it is like the consummate ideal of a hallway. Like it's wide, and there's like different branches that you can go to. There's like a lot of open locker space. All the characters are there when they need to be there. So there is like 
because it's a TV show, it's presented in a way that that is a little heightened and convenient at times. And sometimes characters are a little melodramatic. And we can start getting into the specifics, the specifics of this episode because I think the whole like click dynamic, especially people being shat on for being nerds, is like heightened in this first episode in a very TV way. Yeah, but I, I agree with you that there that there is there is a fiction that kind of makes the realism work and cohere. Yeah, it's definitely this back and forth blend of like uh, beautiful, like here's what my dream version of high school was, and then also like. But at the same time, let's not forget that there was some terrible, like, realistic, brutal shit that, not brutal, but, like, yeah. mentally brutal for the people that were living it at the time, that these are the things that are going to change their lives in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. which I think is beautifully illustrated by the very, very first moments of the show. Let's do uh, it. Because, yeah, where um, we get some music, and then we get, this is before the theme song even, we get, like, a uh, sort of sweeping shot of the high school and we're getting like here's this corner of the school and here's you know the kid getting beat up during football and all this and the first major shot that we see is two white kids sitting on a bleacher brett and ashley i wrote down the names well they're all white (laughs) they're all white kids everyone's white on the show there's no is there any no there's actually okay there's the kid there's a yeah go ahead. there's the kid who makes fun of uh the the eli kid who makes fun of eli is maybe the only person of color that I can think of off the top of well, my head. Well, and then there's a weird scene in episode two that we can return to where Neil is talking to a black guy about how it's like oh, just as hard to be Jewish <laughs> oh, as God. it is to be black. <laughs> but we can talk about that a little bit Please, later. Yes. <laughs> uh, but but Brett and Ashley are this perfect version of like the whole it's a joke to be like, hey, people in high school are like perfect or like they live idealized versions of lives because Brett's like, I'm really sad. Ashley's like, what's wrong? And he's like, I just, I love you so much. It hurts. And she's like, oh, that's so cute. And you're like, ugh, barf. And then it immediately cuts to the freaks who are like the complete polar opposite of that. Well, it doesn't even cut. It's like this like gentle pan away. Like the camera gets bored of the perfect jock popular character. Exactly. Yeah. It kind of speaks volumes about what they're trying to focus on in the show that they're like, all right, that's enough of that. That's stupid. No one actually lives like that. Shut up. <laughs> hmm. um, and then we cut to the, where we, you know, like I said, we pan to the cool characters. And uh, we get some moments of bullying where uh, we meet Lindsay, uh, who is wonderfully introduced in her iconic, I would say, um, army jacket, mm-hmm. uh, which has like a story behind it that they mentioned at the end of the first episode, I think. She like got it from her uncle or something. Yeah, something um, like that. Basically, she's wearing it to, it's like her her shell it's her preservation of like what she wants to appear as like this is like what a burnout wears of course i would wear this but you know that she would be much more comfortable like it's too big on her the sleeves are like completely covering her hands like that's in the sort of cartoon outline of what a character on facing geeks is Lindsay is like wearing an, an identity yeah in a way. it ha- it has that purposeful bagginess of like a security blanket exactly it is it's 100 percent her security blanket and just like yeah this is the this is the me I want to be for you people, um, and then we meet uh, her brother Sam and his friends Neil and Bill, uh, played excellently by uh, Sam Levine and Martin Starr, and then we meet Alan the bully. <sighs> <laughs> I I um watch so I watch this with my girlfriend who knows you, yep, Alan, very appropriate, and um, mm-hmm. we. <laughs> Partway, like partway through the plot of this episode, once Sam and Neil and um, Bill, Bill, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Bill, yeah. The three of them were like 
pretty much every scene they were talking about Alan, the bully, and how they were going to like have to beat him up, or they were worried about him, or whatever. Um, my girlfriend and I just started laughing out loud every time that, that Neil would mention Alan, because he kind of looks like a young TV version of you, talking about how they have to go beat up Alan. Who Neil does? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. It was just, it was just fun. To, like, definitely. Yeah. He definitely, dre- he, d- he definitely dresses like I did at one point where it's just like, oh, your mom dressed you and you kind of justified it by saying you look cool. <laughs> like that was right. probably a yeah. phase that I would had. Um, and then Alan has his little lackeys, which I'm going to get into talking about Alan in a minute. But like there's that line where Lindsay kind of defends her brother and then he goes, watch out, Alan. I think she's high on pot. <laughs> which I just <laughs> I love the delivery of that line. Um, and drugs are a very yeah. important part of the show. Um but uh, the point I was going to start getting at, which is another big, like, one of my favorite things about this series is that no side character is useless. There's nobody who's like, yeah, oh, oh, that's a joke. We'll never see them again. Because in reality, high school groups are small. They're not like a lot of times TV creators use high schools and, and bring in side characters to be like, this is, you know, bringing back to Buffy season early Buffy. It's like, here's the ghost girl. We'll never see her again. She was the ghost. And that's it. Uh pretty much every single character that, that is, shows up in this show at some point does come back and gets flushed out. So, you know, if I remember correctly, I watched this show about going on six or seven years ago at this point. Uh, I feel like Alan gets some development. I hope so. Um, Probably. Yeah. I mean, it's true. It's true to that whole idea of this seems like a um, smallish high school. Yeah. I would say. And our, how would you define the size of our high school like kind of medium large maybe or is that generous yeah i would i would say medium large but i would definitely emphasize that like i feel like i knew the majority i had knew i knew the faces and names of the majority of people in our year right yeah that's what i'm driving at is like as much as media loves to do the mean girls thing of presenting clicks of people as these kind of like vacuum sealed hermetically sealed groups of individuals in reality everybody is going to have connections to people in different spheres and even if you don't know somebody you probably know somebody who knows somebody um so it doesn't you can't like throw away a bit character because it doesn't make any sense somebody's gonna know who they are even like even like the the guru kid with the weird like glasses guy who kind of sometimes he looked like me a little bit when I like turned my head. Um, <laughs> yep. Just going to throw that out there. Um, even that guy, like you think he's just kind of a funny one-off shaman character that they go to and like they had to dub him. So he probably wasn't a very good actor, so they're not going to use him again. They use him prominently in the very next episode. Yeah, more than once, yeah. Yeah. We're going to talk about one of my favorite episodes later, but just like this episode does the really important and useful job of showing you as many characters as possible and giving a lot of them their like moment, like we were talking about earlier, where it's like, here's the thing that this character does. But then that then lays the the plans later to to kind of play with that and twist it and do weird stuff, like Kim in, in particular is a character that I'm really excited to talk about. Yeah. Because she, in this episode, like, you know, pushes Lindsay's books down and and outright, like, bullies her publicly and has an interesting relationship with Daniel. Uh, But it's like, no, you can already tell that Kim's got some stuff going on in her life. And then you're just going to get, like, a whole episode of that at some point. It's it's not... 
she is in no way one dimensional and she's here to stay. Um, yeah, that's that's the other nice thing about this show is that for every moment that they do something weirdly melodramatic in TV, there's the implicit promise that they're going to justify it later. Right. Like they're going to give it some kind of dimension. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So after the Lindsay bullying scene and all of that introduction stuff, we get the opening theme song. Uh, which is excellent. Love that song. Ever since I heard it in the Shrek movie, <laughs> it's such a it's such a commonly used song. Or it was in the also. Is it in the Digimon movie too? Every song was in the Digimon. Like every the Digimon punk rock movie soundtrack song. shaped my musical tastes in many ways. There he said it. Uh, I'm gonna just while I'm doing this look a bad reputation Digimon, which is <laughs> good Google search result. Uh, I didn't really One find it. We'll anything. do. We'll do a chats of all the albums of the Bare Naked Ladies. Um, and Digimon helped introduce me to that band. Very true. That I loved, 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 loved in high school. Um, no, they're fine. They're all right. Yeah, Battery Reputation, Joan Jett. Very appropriate for the show. Um, oh, yeah. Cut a little bit on the nose in certain some of the lines where it's just like, I don't want to do what you want to do, and that's what I'm going to do. Like <laughs> um, <laughs> That whole thing. Uh, and then just the like... I don't know, if you want, allow me to like overthink this for a minute. The fact that it's yeah. picture day is really perfect I uh, love that. as the sort of yeah. opening theme. Because it's, it's both, it serves the dual function of going, here is how everybody reacts in a situation where they have to put on a face, which is a lot of what the show is about, is putting on faces. And yes. also, here's a really good profile shot of every major character. <laughs> like It's, it's right. like brilliant in a way like that. It's like, whoa. It accomplishes both essential things that the show does in like a minute. Uh, in particular, like the the little moment that I always think about when I watch it is when they go to James Franco's character and he like smiles and then twitches because he doesn't know how to smile normally. <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. that's like really good. That's really really good. And the way that like not everyone smiles and some of them like intentionally put on like a grumpy face and like you can totally see those types of pictures being in the yearbook uh, and then being like oh man i was such a clown back then it kind of like heightens that sense that like we are going to look back on these memories and think about them in the future definitely um <laughs> then we get the introduction of the weir family the extended weir family the mother and father i think that the father maybe not i don't know if he's the best actor in the world but he definitely gets the best lines of the show so far it's like unfair how they just they just throw gold at him Right. Well, he's the only character so far that they are really keeping to that comedic role. It's all he does, yes. Yeah, he's kind of the most, not the most shallow, but he's the most like caricature of all the characters that we're introduced to in these first couple episodes. Um, And you know that there there are going to be moments where we get more from him because he's their fucking dad, like... We're going to see more of the dad. Um, but I think it is that is very true to like people's memories of their dads. You know, like everybody kind of remembers their dad as having like specific one liners and very precise opinions. Um, and <laughs> it's like his eyes are perfect. Um, <laughs> it's so yeah. bulgy. Yeah. Yeah. Because his whole bit in this moment is where they're like, oh, you don't want to go to, you don't want to go get drunk at a dance. I knew a girl that went to a dance. You know what happened to her? She died. <laughs> like, it's just that over and over again. Like, I knew someone who smoked pot once. You know what happened to him? What's that? He died. <laughs> like, yeah. Just incredibly fear mongering, but like hilarious. Just like, I know how to parent my kids by scaring them. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then also the mom, uh, doesn't get much other than to like be the good mom, which is again, just like, oh, that's what a lot of people remember their mom as is like policing their behavior and trying to keep them in check and being like, oh, my kids are hard. Um, 
She's also the uh, the mom on the TV show Girls, which is um, huh. similarly a show where the mom doesn't get that much to do. But then when she does, it's like, oh, she's got stuff going on. It's a little bit of a dark. It's a much darker show, actually. Um, and she gets some weird stuff to do with her husband on that. But, you know, this is not a podcast about girls. Uh, my next comment in here is about Eli, who forms the backbone of Lindsay's conflict in the episode. Um, so why don't we why don't we run that down? Yeah. So basically, at the at the dinner table, is it this early that the mom urges them to go to the dance, or does that happen later in the episode? Uh, I think it happens in this first scene. Yeah. Yeah. So essentially, the does the mom have a name? Just Mrs. Weir, I guess, at this point. Currently, yeah. Her name is actually Jean. Um, but Jean. yeah, you can call her Mrs. So Weir. yeah. So we'll we'll go with Mrs. Weir for the moment, or just mom. So mom urges Sam and Lindsay to go to the homecoming dance. Because moms care about that sort of thing. I know my mom tried to get me to like go to the homecoming dance and like would blithely mention like student government would be pretty fun, huh? It's like that kind of mom thing. Um, right. And Lindsay's against it because, oh, mom, like dances aren't cool. And Sam's kind of into it because he is a lonely little teenage boy. The lonely <laughs> horny boy who wants to ask out. That he likes. He wants to ask out Cindy. Cindy. <laughs> yeah, Cindy. Um, so that's kind of the driving, um, the sort of impending event that's hanging over this episode as we move through the plot. Okay. Correct. So let's return to Eli. What do we have? What do we have to say about Eli? Eli is one of those characters where it's like, "Mm, if this show wasn't so honest and earnest about uh, like uh, portraying characters realistically, I would worry that they're making a joke of him. I think it's more getting back to that, like memories of high school kind of thing that, uh, the rest of the people around him are making the joke of him and his disability. And it's just like, no, he's just, he's still just a person like, and he gets bullied and, and get the, like the scene that makes me uncomfortable. A lot of this first episode has moments that genuinely made me very uncomfortable, but like in a relatable way was mm-hmm. when he's getting bullied, but in a way that's like, they're pandering to him. Like they're just trying to be like, Oh, Eli, like, you know, they like when they're sitting on the bleachers with him, for example, and they're yeah, asking him so- to like, talk about the president. Right. So we kind of, we can just kind of do the whole Eli arc since it really happens over the course of yeah, yeah, yeah. three scenes in the whole episode. Um, the first time that we see him, it's in the hallway and he's asking people to the dance. Um, he's like going up to girls and saying, will you go to the dance with me? And then they're kind of laughing, but they're politely saying, no, like we don't want to go. Um, and then another, a boy mocks him i don't remember exactly how that boy mocks him but he does and Lindsay gets pissed off about it and we're introduced to this side of Lindsay where she's we see it in the first scene that she's introduced she's the defender of the innocent i guess is kind of the way that we can think about Lindsay. yeah um like she's not going to put up with anybody being hurt or stepped on um or anything like, like that. Yeah. yeah and so she sticks up to, for eli in front of these people and then she's get she gets made fun of for it like oh you guys look like a cute couple and she's like yeah maybe we do eli do you want to go to the dance with me and he's like yeah that'd be great um so now we have it in our heads Lindsay and eli are going to go to the dance together that scene works you know um that alone would feel very pandering and odd like she's kind of the white knight savior of of eli um but then this scene that you're talking about helps to complicate it and i think it's this scene for me that makes it okay the scene where um like you're saying they're on the bleachers with him and they're saying like oh eli what do you think about the president like oh i i think that his 
policies aren't that great. And then Eli's just kind of like, yeah, I think his policies aren't that great. Um, He's just parroting laughing, them, basically. Yeah, and they're laughing their asses off. And Eli's laughing too. And it brings into question how, like, what is the joke here? How harmful of a joke is it? Right. And yeah. that's that's kind of confronted where Lindsay um, tells him to stop. And Eli's like, it's fine. They're my friends. And she pretty harshly says, no, they're not your friends. They're making fun of you. This is a bad kind of laughing. They're being mean to you. And then he, Eli gets upset. Um, and Lindsay accidentally uses the R word yeah. to refer to Eli. He says, no, that's not what I am. I'm special. And then he gets upset, runs off, trips, sprains his wrist yeah, um, yeah. from what I can tell. And then what is that guy's name? The guy who's making fun of him? Because I love that character. I think he's my favorite character. <laughs> that actor is really interesting because he is, he was the character when I was telling you like another show that we tried piloting for our next podcast was going to be uh, uh, Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and he plays the same exact type of role in that show um, as in terms of like the side character shitty person. Exactly the same. And yeah. speaking of the 90s, he was also in Heavyweights, one of the main characters in Heavyweights. Uh, which was like, I believe, written or directed by Paul Feig. So Paul Feig just likes this dude and is like friends with him, probably. Huh. Uh, the actor's name is Sean Weiss and the character's name is Sean. So good work. <laughs> <laughs> okay, gotcha. Um, Sean comes back a decent amount. Now, he he's not one of the ones that gets like super fleshed out, but he definitely comes back. Uh, yeah, Sean's good because he's just like, oh, I think you're the bigot. Like we were, who's who's like the horrible person now? Like he was, he was fine. Yeah, he's like he's something along the lines of like, so I'm the mean one. Yeah, is basically what he says. And that is such a a potent moment of her being like, no, like you need to understand that people are bullying you, and it's true. But like then it becomes the argument of like, was it worth it to tell him, or was like in a way was like ignorance just bliss? Like they aren't hurting him. They're they're being demoralizing and they're insulting his intelligence for sure. But like, I don't think telling him they don't actually like you is the best way to get that across. You're like, no, they actually yeah. hate you and you're being bullied right now. But I'm curious what you think about that. It's just it's really tough because they're they're like it's hard to say how aware Eli was of of the bit that he was doing. Because that's a bit that you can do where somebody's like, what do you think of Jimmy Carter's? Like, that's a bit I do all the time where someone's like, oh, I think Jim, whatever, like his policies aren't that great. And then I'll kind of like blithely say, repeat what people just said as yeah. if I'm saying something of, of substance. And people find that funny because it's like so annoying. Um, and so there, there's like, it's clear that Eli understands that he's making them laugh. Like he's doing the same thing over and over strategically and he's making them laugh. But they are but the real question is like are they just in it to make themselves laugh or are they honestly really trying to like have him have fun too? Yeah, exactly. And that I don't I don't really know the answer to that question. Probably not, but it it just has the yeah. vibe. I think you're you're supposed to be put into Lindsay's situation when you're first seeing that, and it's like, no, it looks like they're bullying him. Like I can't actually tell, but like, doesn't it kind of feel like it? It's like something in the air about it. But um, as someone yeah. who was somewhat bullied a little bit in high school, and definitely was like, as a a fatter kid, definitely was like, oh, I the way that I can kind of stop people from insulting me is to insult myself and to like make jokes about myself. And le right. lean into the skit, if you will, was sort of like an adage that I held on to for a while. It was like the best way to get people to stop hurting you is to kind of like deprecate yourself so that they can't do it and then laugh yeah. about it. 
And that's the thing you get out of after high school for sure. But like, I can see where Eli's coming from of like, this is just what's going to work. They're going to make fun of me either way. Maybe if I should just like do the joke, like whatever, uh, whether or not he's doing that intentionally is, right. is a question, obviously. But um, I think Lindsay is definitely like not understanding that. And like you said, has this like white knight, like I got to fix things by telling him the right. truth. Yeah. I mean, cause the, the really fascinating thing that Lindsay's faux pas brings to light is the assumption that she's making, which is that those people are laughing and Eli's there. They must be making fun of him. Yes. And like, that's the assumption that she makes is everybody makes fun of him. Like, of course they do because of X, Y, Z. Yeah. Because of the way he talks, the way he looks, et cetera. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then the moment when she gets, when she asks him to the, the dance is a similar thing where it's like, oh, no one's going to say yes to you. So I'll pay, it's, it like feels in a moment like she's kind of pitying him. Like, I'll let you, I'll go with you, quote unquote. And then right. she kind of realizes, oh, now I have to go to the dance. And oh, now I'm going to the dance with Eli. Like Lindsay kind of, I don't want to say she sucks in that moment, but it's just kind of like, oh, come on. Um, fortunately the show is, is handles that moment well. And she goes to the dance and kind of realizes that like being in your own head that much and trying to defend people just sucks and it's like oh just live with it like just he's a person and she dances with him in that the dance and yeah like, that's a good moment where he's treated as an equal finally yeah i mean it's it's um this theme that we're going to talk about surely throughout the show of cultivating self-image because you can see Lindsay's actions in defiance of alan in defiance of these other bullies on the one hand as an impulse to protect and on the other hand as an impulse to be seen as somebody who is protecting yeah, um, yeah, yeah and in the moment where she's like eli will you go to the dance with me it's hard like as the viewer you're kind of like yeah but you're also like you didn't need to do that like you you made that you said that to kind of prove a point and to feel good you know, also. you're to feel good about yourself and y- in a way you're using him to make yourself feel better in the same way that other people are it's not necessarily as quote-unquote you know mean or mean-spirited but it is still um you're still using eli to get what you want to get out of this and that's what that moment on the bleachers reveals is that she wasn't thinking of him as a person yeah you know he's he's a character of a certain role in her story and then the, the the dance at the end is meant to be this kind of like victorious you know i don't care what people think of me i'm dancing with him because i'm sorry and i want him to have a good time and then in that i'm having a good time with someone who i realize is yeah yeah Uh, i think we're going to be charting Lindsay's development in particular in terms of like we learned at the end of this episode that a big reason that she's trying to project her image um is because her grandmother died and uh she was the only person to see her and she's kind of acting out And she's kind of like searching for something to feel because there's this contrast with her past that I think is really interesting when we get introduced to the guidance counselor character who I love. um, And he talks about like her, him and her brother later talks to to, uh, to Neil about how like she used to be a mathlete. Like she used to be the biggest nerd in the whole world. I have a bone to pick real quick. Please do. Millie fucking says to join academic decathlon. You're our best mathlete. They're two different things. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I think she's saying I that... I was in academic decathlon in high school, and they're not the same. <laughs> I really... I want... I, if that ever comes... There is, like, an academic decathlon moment later in the show. Uh, so we're going to talk about that, like, way later in the show. Um, they just... They're so fluid with their terminology, and it's, like, not... 
That's not what academic decathlon is. Do, it's all different. Do the subjects. skills not transfer over though? Like being a good athlete does not at all make you a good athlete. There is a. I mean, let me just say I was not in high school in 1980, so I don't know how right. academic decathlon was structured back then. But when I did it, here's a little info for people. The way it worked is at the regional level of academic decathlon, there are seven subjects. And every year's materials have like a theme. So one of the years I did it, the theme was like the Great Depression. And um, there are seven subjects where you have to kind of learn all this information in a given subject. So like history. And so that year you had to learn the history of the Great Depression. Music. And so you have to learn like music theory and the music of the time. Literature. So like we had to read... um, What's it called? Steinbeck. He's Grapes of Wrath. Grapes of Wrath. Thank you. Dust is everywhere. Great. Um, History, literature, music, art, math, science, and those are the first seven. And then once you get to the next, the like state level, then they add on like you have to give a speech, you have to write an essay, and you have to do a third thing. My team never got that far, so we never had to do them. Our academic decathlon team was a little uh, fly-by-night, a little roughshod, but it was fun. Anyway, um, so there's math in it, but it's not only math. And I got frustrated because Millie was like, you got to come back to academic decathlon. You were our best mathlete. You're like, that has nothing. (laughs) You're totally, I'm actually the show in that moment. I love it. (laughs) Dude, listen, I have to do it somehow for every show yeah this, this is, is your translator microbes for our escape our former escape chats listeners <laughs> yeah yeah i i was gonna bring up millie next actually there isn't much to say about her yet she gets a great couple of moments in the second episode um yeah but millie's great we love millie it's just yeah. that moment is dumb uh and i want i don't remember if millie gets good development she probably does most characters do on the show um, yeah she probably i mean she's so tied to Lindsay's past exactly i'm sure totally uh, yeah, the the bullying stuff progresses a little bit from there. We get a cute mm-hmm. little scene in the gym where uh, we're playing dodgeball. Really well shot. Really well shot. Like, showing the kids against the backdrop of the wall and how, like, genuinely terrified they are. Not because just purely getting hit with a dodgeball hurts, but it's that moment of hopelessness of, like, this is sanctioned. Like, a teacher is watching us, played effortlessly by Tom Wilson, uh, Biff Tannen from Back to the Future. Yeah, great casting. Perfect, flawless casting. Uh, But just, like, he's watching this happen and telling us to do better, and we're terrified. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's, like, primally terrifying to me. and It's so scary to just be like, oh, my God. Like, we're just going to get bombarded, and they're having fun with it, and they can do this as long as they want until the game ends, because they... We can't even compete. Um, I definitely had uh, moments in gym class that were similar to that, where I was like, oh, God, this is the sport where I'm going to get creamed because I'm a slow runner and I can't hit anything. And like, ugh, just suffer for an hour or whatever, hour 45 yeah, minutes. Yeah, I mean, I remember... Um... I remember like multiple times in middle school where gym teachers would get frustrated with me because I like didn't do a, I didn't know how to do a layup when we were like doing basketball or like yeah. I didn't understand what they wanted me to do when we were doing like football catches and stuff. It's like, we're not, I'm not going to be good at the sports or I, like one gym teacher in middle school had to teach me how to throw a ball because I was just not <laughs> doing it right. Actually, very helpful. Now I know how to throw a ball, so that was nice. One, remember I was walking into the middle school locker room one time, and um, I was with a friend of mine, and he was carrying like a bunch of books and stuff. And one of the gym teachers was like in there, kind of throwing around a ball and messing around. And then he like whipped 
this ball at us when we were walking in, not realizing that my friend had all these books in his hand. And so it like hit him and then it became this whole thing where like my, my friend and this gym teacher, like I think his parents got mad and it was, yeah. Oh God. <laughs> yeah. It was a whole thing. Anyway, I mean, just there, like that is so real that the gym teachers have this kind of resentment of what they're doing. I'm sure there are plenty of gym teachers out there who like enjoy their jobs and I've had great gym teachers. For sure. Um, but I've also had a few who were clearly like so not into it. Yeah. Uh, one gym one gym teacher at the high school just did not pronounce my name correctly. Ugh. So he would whenever he would do attendance, he would say Magalon. And um <laughs> the first corrected him the first couple times and then he kept doing it and then like when a new term would start and the gym class would shuffle a little bit he would do it and like people would laugh and i would like have to try to correct him again and then he would do it right for a bit and then get it wrong again and it's like all right well gym class is just never going to be like fun for me unless we're playing badminton or ping pong dude oh my god same those are the two (laughs) games yay (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was badminton and ping pong yes yeah yeah i have a lot of gym class memories we were both we both went to the same middle and high school uh and i could go on forever about just like doing the mile the stupid mile run and just oh my God. making yeah. best friends with the back of the line club and being like we're gonna do it in 15 minutes because fuck it <laughs> like yeah early on early yeah. on being like oh god i suck i'm so bad and then by the end of high school you're just like don't even look at me don't even time me i'm gonna be last and you don't care <laughs> too bad yeah. i don't I'm care what walk the president. yeah i'm gonna wa- yeah i totally would walk in by the end this does not affect me well because what yeah. you realize about gym class is like i mean a a lot of those gym teachers are sort of compensating for the fact that they're like i'm not gonna say like failed careers or whatever but they're like oh well this is the position i'm in so i get to have this bit of power and like physically not abuse but like i'm physically forcing kids to do stuff yeah i mean it's like it's any job where there's sort of like a little bit too much power for no reason yes. and some people handle handle it responsibly and some people handle it not responsibly i don't want right. to i really don't want to cast a wide net and say like all gym teachers are shitty but no 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 we have we have like anecdotally had not so great gym teachers i definitely had a gym teacher who brought his girlfriend to play with us and then kind of just like goofed around with her and like barely noticed that we were there that's true <laughs> that was middle school. i think i know who you're talking about yep 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 <laughs> good times <laughs> um um <laughs> What was I going to... Oh, I mean, I think for me, like, at a certain point, you realize that the president is not looking over the data from the presidential (laughs) physical fitness test. He isn't, like, in the war room studying the numbers. (laughs) Uh, Magellan did six sit-ups, huh? He's going to be a big president boy someday. Like, 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 (laughs) right away, it just breaks down. And you're like, oh, I don't have to... I don't have to learn how to do a chin up. That is another thing that I want to come back to a lot with this show is that like as these characters start to get older and as we talk more about like how high school can end, it's it's the best way to get through high school is to realize that nothing you're doing matters and nobody around you is going to matter in your future. That's it's really that simple. It's hard to yeah, come to that realization. Do, unless but... you do like a podcast with them. Or uh, <laughs> well, I mean, I've said this a billion times, <laughs> but like the people that matter and the people that you love and that you care about, yeah, they'll stick around. But like your gym teacher, you'll never see him again. Your bully is going to like live in a trailer park or go to college and just be a boring person. Like they're just or not be very successful or be very successful in their own right. And they'll never t- and they'll feel bad about how mean they were to you. And like, it's not, 
it is ne- it's it's neither here nor there. They're just going to live on their on their own and you cannot change things or control things and high school is not as big of a deal as it feels like in the moment. Uh, so like that dodgeball game in reality is like 30 minutes to 45 minutes. Like n- it's not their life. Yeah. But in the moment it's I like, will oh, say God, I did I I did like the way it was shot, but I also as a viewer wanted like a, a more accurate impression of what was going on in the dodgeball game. Right, you can't tell it, who's winning or anything. You're just like, oh, they're just getting pelted. That's it. I can't tell who's winning or who's out. And then there's a point where, like, is Sam the only one in? And then, like, the dudes on the other side keep multiplying, which is <laughs> thematically appropriate. But the, like, pedantic literalist part of me was like, I want to I wanna know the stats of this dodgeball game. Right, because dodgeball is kind of fun if you are not, like, if you can at least catch a ball. It's like really yeah, as simple as it is. We had dodgeball tournaments in um, middle school. Yeah, I was in I one of participated. them. Weren't you on my team? <laughs> I think so. Did we have Weren't to bring food at one point? That's what I remember. I don't remember. I just remember I was on a team. You could have staff members on your team. Yep. And my team asked our math teacher to be on it. And he was this wiry um animated dude who ended up being by far the last person on our team standing <laughs> uh, for like a while and then he got out on kind of like a weird technical thing and we were like no we can contest it like you should go back in there and he's like guys no i don't like i don't want to <laughs> i don't want to <laughs> i'm the like i'm the only one playing for your student team and this is a bunch of like athletic young men who are gonna be on high school football teams later like right no i'm done <laughs> Oh man, I do remember that. Wow, um, <laughs> this podcast really is going to just turn into middle and high school memories, and I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to get back to freaks and geeks, um, from that scene, they kind of determine after, and also after talking to the sagely Magellan esque character, uh, like, <laughs> what do we do? And then he gives them the terrible advice of like, just fight him, just fight him, and then if you lose, then he'll he'll, he'll get bored, and if you win, then you are the alpha male. And you're like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this advice is so bad. Oh. Yeah, the thing my girlfriend picked up on, she, like, leaned over to me at one point and, like, had me, like, we paused it and she was like, is this, like, true to life? Like, all of this boy-girl stuff, basically? Because this, this episode is very, the language is very gendered in a way yeah. that I think is true to kind of teenage male ego. Because you're at a point in your life where you're trying to grapple with, like, society's expectations for what it means to be a man and to man up, like... They're in the cafeteria. I think this is a scene that we kind of skipped. Um, and Alan comes over to to torment Sam. And then they call a teacher on him. And the teacher's like, go buy him a new milk. And then he's like, Sam, you got to man up. So there's that. And there's um, the guru guy telling them that they have to fight him and like, be a man. There's just a lot of this kind of language. Or like, oh, and the gym teacher is like, come on, ladies, like put down the lipstick or whatever. Yeah. Um, so there is kind of a lot of that gendered vocabulary going on here, which I think is true and and um, sad. Right. It is It is the side of twi- – uh, I, I don't know why I keep calling it Twin Peaks. It's not the show that we're doing. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know either. That would be a fun So twist. weird. There is a high school in Twin Peaks, but it's the, it's the kind of high school where in the first episode a guy like jazz walks across the hallway after a murder is announced. <laughs> so it's a different show. <laughs> um. 
the it's the thing about freaks and geeks is like there are parts about high school that you're like oh yeah i remember that moment and then like oh like the uncomfortable stuff that we tried to forget that you see like in the way like, that masculine oh we were definitely awesome. all much more sexist than we want to admit to ourselves duper, duper pooper absolutely for sure yeah yeah um and then yeah related to that line when they're preparing for the the fight bill I think asks Neil or something. He goes, "Should I wear a cup for this?" And then Neil says, "That's <laughs> that's between you and your God, Bill," <laughs> which is <laughs> legendary. Yeah. Um, and speaking of probably more sexist than we think we are, uh, Jason Segel's character, real briefly, uh, I can't like him as much as I did the first time I watched this when I was in high school. Yep, 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 yep. It's hard to like him. And they finally, in the second episode, are like, eh, maybe acting like this is shitty. Uh, but in this one, it's like, oh, he's perfect. Like, he's going to take her to his house and show her his drums. Like, he's got, like, a fun drum set. He loves drumming. And then immediately they get in trouble with the guidance counselor, who I really appreciate in that moment, like, not being the cool teacher and being like, oh, you crazy kids. Like, he they, he calls her parents and gets her in, like, a lot of trouble. And so it's like, hey, you cut class. Um, yeah. You know, he doesn't sugarcoat it. and he Because he, he, I think that is... A problem that a lot of media think teaches us that teachers should be, which is like the cool teacher that lets you get off and do stuff. Because in reality, no, most of your teachers shouldn't be like that. It's cool to have like one and be like, oh, there was that year where I had a cool substitute who let me do stuff and cut class. But like, no, it's a bad way to live. It's not. It's like not a good teaching method. Yeah, I uh, I really appreciated the the kind of arc the like mini arc that he had around his name in this episode where. He has Lindsay in his office for the first time, and he says, hey, you know, if you don't want to talk to Mr. Rosso, then talk to you Jeff. can just talk to your buddy Jeff. And like, I'm Jeff. And then she called him Jeff a few times. And then at the end of the episode at the at the dance, he's like, maybe stop calling me Jeff. <laughs> like, let's – maybe we should be professional again, which I think um, it's really – because in another show, he would just stay kind of like the wacky guidance counselor. But you can see that this is a man who's trying to – reach out to her and be a role model and is sort of trying different ways to connect with her. Um, and it, on some things he's giving up and on some things he's trying to be tougher. And um, as somebody who right now I'm, I work in a high school as a, as a tutor and a, a classroom aide. Um, and it, it definitely feels very um, sincere and close to home in terms of my experience where there's the urge to work with high schoolers in a way where it's like, yeah, like we're cool. We're buds. It's fine. But then at the end of the day, you have to realize like there is something liberating about the adults in your life being like, no, I'm an adult. Treat me like an adult and I'll treat you like an adult, which means that I expect you to meet certain standards of behavior. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's the arc of Mr. Rosso, Jeff, if you will, throughout the show is is, yeah. is like that, that push and pull because he is definitely the teacher that comes back the most and is like sees what's going on in Lindsay's life and is trying to help her get through it, but is also trying to like be the guidance counselor and not be her cool friend. Um, right, exactly. And then uh, things kind of this like show does a really good job about accelerating its third act really quickly. Because um, basically from there, it's like Jason Siegel shows the drums. She gets in trouble. She's forced to work at the prom at the dance. I keep wanting to call it the prom. It's not the prom. Uh, and then we go to the dance and uh, they play that sticks song. Uh, Come sail away, which like there are two stick songs in this in this episode. And I'm like, damn, yo, the licensing fees must have been like very expensive. I know. To get a show well, a song with yeah. the cloud as Come Sail Away. I want to, we skip past two scenes that I, two like 
intercut scenes that I want to cover. Oh, whoops, yeah. Cover. Go for it. Um, the resolution of the Alan arc is yep. that he's goading them constantly. And Sam <laughs> Sam basically says like to his friends that they're not sticking up for him enough. And so then Bill in the locker room sticks up for him. And Alan's like, you're dead too. Um, so now they're all wrapped up in it. Um, and then they agree to fight Alan at whatever, three o'clock, I think it was, yep. at a certain spot. And... Bill and Neil go. Sam starts to go, but then he runs into Cindy. Cindy, and he talks to Cindy, who's uh, cast to be taller than him. Yep. In a way that perfectly captures those uh, those fun, odd puberty years where girls are taller than boys. Um, yeah, <laughs> true. <laughs> and they. Have an awkward conversation where Sam actually works up the courage to ask her to the dance. Good on you, Sam. Good boy. We none of us could do that. I almost did it. When zero of us could do that. Mm-hmm. I remember when I asked a girlfriend in high school to prom. Not a girl. She wasn't my girlfriend yet. I literally was like fully shaking. Yeah. Like my body was. And we all like we'd already kind of agreed that we were going together. <laughs> but and still I just had to officially was... ask. Yeah. And it was still like, uh, I can't do it. And I tried like multiple times and I couldn't do it. Anyway, um, Sam asked her to go to the dance. She says, I already am going with somebody, but I'll save a dance for you. And he's like, oh, okay. I guess I guess that's a win for Sam. Sure. Um, <laughs> that's a victory. Meanwhile, his friends are just like jumping on top of Alan. Yeah. And that's that's the fight. Uh, really well shot in the same kind of frenetic action-y way as the dodgeball scene. Um, very close up and like, ah, yeah. this is what a real fight would look like. It's like zooms and cuts. and Yeah, it's very hectic. Yeah. Uh, I like that setting, by the way, that like weird trailer park. I hope they go back there. I thought it was kind of cool. Um, and it's like the first little teensy little window that we get into Alan's backstory, which is like he's got a shitty bike that he rides home. And, um, he's only able to fight in that scene because there's like no adults around. So it's this kind of like safe space for a bully where it's like, no one's going to stop me and I can just kind of wail on you. But like, oh my God, these people are crazy. Like, oh my God, they're jumping on me. And he just leaves because the secret, one of the secret ways to get, to get past your bully is to make them think you're crazy, (laughs) which (laughs) like we said earlier, doesn't being such a small school means that won't work forever. They'll eventually like see you with someone else and go, oh no, he's not crazy. He's just yeah um compensating so then we go we eventually get to the dance um sam rolls up we've got come sail away playing and like i don't think i've ever seen a funnier moment of musical storytelling than the one that plays out here where the advice that he's gotten from his friends is like you get one dance so make sure it's a slow dance like wait for a slow song go up to her bring her to the dance floor and dance yeah slow uh and he does because come sail away starts off really slow and kind of peaceful and then uh uh-oh um and then as soon as they start to dance it just jumps into the come sail away the breakdown the breakdown part um and it's like hilarious and kind of sad but really beautiful the way that they just sam just rolls with it and is like well at least you know at least i'm dancing with her and we're kind of being goofy but it's what i wanted exactly it's it it, yeah it's kind of that like acceptance like oh well this is what's happening that's a lot of sam's relationship with cindy is he's kind of like oh i guess okay this works (laughs) sure um which is it's it's kind of why i don't like cindy's character that much 
is because it just feels like it's going like it's too perfect um she's like too nice of a character and i don't know i don't know if it's cynical of me to say it but i'm just like i don't think it would have gone this well for sam i don't know what you think about that (laughs) um i mean we don't really know anything about cindy yet i think there's still plenty of time for there to be some kind of bump in the road i don't know what that would look like but maybe she asks him to to do something that he's not comfortable with like on her behalf as a favor right or um she starts hanging out with people that he doesn't think are that cool like i think sam has a sort of moral resiliency that we see in the second episode that i think is going to clash with some hidden aspect of cindy um but we just haven't seen her do anything. Like it's the that storyline is so Sam focused and intentionally so that Cindy is presented as like how you would remember the girl that you had a crush on in ninth grade. Yeah. As like the sweetest, nicest girl ever in the whole wide world. Right. Yeah. I, I I'll I'll hold judgment for now. Um but that basically covers the first episode of Freaks and Geeks. Yes, sir. Uh there is no uh, we you, in our previous podcast we did like a background info, but like we said, there like this isn't a show that's super easy to find trivia for, and there's no like one uh, cool cohesive place to. Um, and so I'm gonna say let's take a break, Magellan. Uh, let's do it. Let's let's play some tunes, and then we'll be right back uh, to discuss beers and weirs. And we're back. Uh, no, I forgot to mention about the first episode was that it premiered September 25th, 1999, which I think is great that it started at the beginning of the school year. I think I love that they get to do that. A lot of fall That's shows. That's fun. Yeah. Um, and we are here to discuss the second episode, Beers and Weirs, which premiered October 2nd, 99. And it was written once again by Paul Feig, but also co-written by your boy Judd Apatow, who was partly the brainchild hey. of the show. And also J. Elvis Weinstein, which is an incredible name. Uh, and a direct, name. directed by Jake Kasdan as well. So, Beers and Weirs. It's the alcohol party episode. Um, just real quickly, uh, before we talk about it, I want to say that I have really loved the weird directorial choice to start it with a zoom out from Mr. Weir's, like, underwear-clad ass. Like, that's yep. the way the episode starts. <laughs> yep. And they don't... It's like... It's like the cameraman was playing a joke on the viewer. There's no reference to the fact that he did that. It's just like, haha, here you are. You're looking at a butt. Anyways, 
Freaks and Geeks yeah. time. Like, I was very nice. happy with that. And with his, um, like, appropriately underwear-clad dad bod, it's just, like, it was all very good. Exactly. Um, and, yeah, so we begin with yet another delightful weird it gave family me, breakfast. Yeah, it gave me that same satisfaction that I get from the scene in the Malcolm in the Middle pilot where Hal is just naked and Lois is cutting his hair and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Where it's like, oh, that's so real. That's... Like, yeah, like, parents are just kind of, like, in their underwear, like, naked a little bit in some houses, and it's fine. It's cool. Yeah, totally. That's... This is just dad's Sunday butt. <laughs> it is that. It is definitely the, like, a lot of TV shows want to be like, oh, we have, like, breakfast attire. The classic breakfast scene is the following, Magellan. Older sister yeah. having an argument with the mom uh over cereal the dad is reading a comically large newspaper in his underwear the son Mm -hmm. uh grabs a piece of toast as it comes out of the toaster runs out the door and says bye i love you with the toast in his mouth that is the classic american breakfast scene (laughs) and then this is just like no we're just hanging out (laughs) let's just take a moment let's have a minute to breathe and we're talking about concerts i believe was the topic yeah uh which i just remember because i have a couple lines in here from mr weir where uh he was talking about, I can't remember which band it was. Oh, for the love of God. But he was like, oh, did you hear about this band? Uh, I heard that they, they spit on their fans. The and, Sex Pistols, I think. Yes, it was the Sex Pistols. You hear about those Sex Pistols? And then Mrs. Weir is like, oh, I can't believe what the world is coming to. And then he says, uh, oh, spend my hard-earned money to be spit on? That's entertainment. Which is like, dog, it is <laughs> for some people. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Sorry. And he's like, at least they, at least this other brand doesn't ex- expectorate on their fans, which is totally the, like, your dad uh-huh. has a word of the day calendar and wanted to use the word. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And and the, that was tied in with um, Lindsay being like, well, parents always hate the music of, like, you, I'm sure your parents hated Elvis. And then he was like, yeah, yeah he Elvis says, at least did. Elvis didn't expectorate on their fan, on his fans. fans. Uh, I wrote Millie. He's great in here. I think that was just Millie being Millie to, to Lindsay. Um, and being like, why are you hanging out with those burnouts? Millie is so judgmental. It's like, I get where she's coming from, but she's not nice. <laughs> yeah, um, I think, I don't know. I There are times where like I really get Millie and I like totally see that person. And there are other times where it's like, I don't really get it. For some reason, her berating Lindsay about like hanging out with them doesn't click with me. But then later when she's like on the piano singing, Jesus is just all right with me, makes like a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. She's she's great. She's the kind of person that grows up to live a really good life. Like she's going to like have a nice family yeah. or something. Yeah. Um, Jason Siegel, who I should learn his character is a Nick. Does that sound right? Is it Nicholas? Yeah, sounds right. Um, quick. Before I forget it, Weir, their last name sounds like weird. Probably on purpose, right? Yes. It's also like a one easy one syllable, like Lindsay Weir. Um, like it's, it's, you can hear it being said by a teacher at like an assembly. But also, yes, they're the weird family. You're right. right. Uh, and you anyway, uh, let's talk about Nick a little bit because he does some bad stuff. Yeah. Later. Yeah. At the party, for sure. Uh, Nick yeah. also spends the beginning. Well, th- so this joke is seated at the beginning and then used terribly at the end. Uh, where he's like, oh, man, John Bonham died, the the drummer for, I believe, Led Zeppelin. Led um, Zeppelin, yeah. And it's sort of like, oh, man, I really care. Like, you don't understand how much I care that John Bonham died. Like, John Bonham, blah, blah, blah. 
And then, yeah, later when it's the scene during the party where he does some garbage shit, it's like, no, but you don't understand. Like, I'm in a bad state because John Bonham died. And it's like, shut up, Nick. Just Nick is a character who I think. He also mentions he mentions John Bonham in the pilot. It's like the first thing that we hear the geeks talk about. He says something like. Like, God is on Earth, and his name is John Bonham, John Bonham. and he yeah, drums for like, Led Zeppelin or whatever, something like that. He, like, drums on his feet for a second, yeah. Um, Nick is definitely one of those characters when I watched the show a while ago that I was like, oh, like, I get it. Nick's, gonna, Nick's like, trying his best, and he's, like, the nice guy amongst the shitty people. It's like, no, Nick is, like, terrible. Nick is, like, a bad – he's, like, trying to give off that image. Um, yeah. And, like, doesn't realize how awkwardly shitty he is and, like – Oh my god, the moment where he takes the bra off is like, oh, you, you're, you're, a, you're a little bit sleazy, boy. Like, you're not, <laughs> I thought you were going to be good. Um, I hope yeah. he makes up for that at some point. I doubt it. It's kind of hard to. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think what you said earlier about, like, I remember, like, I totally forgot about that bra thing. Because I remembered liking his character. Yeah. When I first watched it. And I think that's a product of, like... That I think Nick, like if you're viewing this show in the like heteros, like just to say up front, we are looking at this show through the lens of like our experience, our high school experience, which is like suburban, white, male, heteronormative, heteronormative, pretty much. Uh-huh. If you view it in that lens, I think Nick is meant to be like the late teens analog to the to the viewer to the audience at least the way that i like he's the person that i kind of see as the closest to like a late high school version of myself yeah yeah and so it makes sense that i remember liking him more but then like really cringe whenever he's talking to Lindsay, and especially when he pulls shit like that because it's like uh like i never you know i never like reached up behind a girl and try to take her bra off after two seconds but you know you can think about like the the way that i don't know like the way that you kind of first come to think about women is not necessarily um does not necessarily acknowledge like their humanity as much as it should you know what i mean i do i do absolutely yeah i don't know that what how to word that but it's just like it's just like weirdly detached and there's kind of culturally this sequence of like the base system you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like there is this like common culturally established set of norms of like you know you are trying to get to point a point b point c point d and and so it's about like doing that like it, it is very goal oriented and so it kind of forgets the person who's right in front of you and that creates a way of interacting with people that we see embodied in Nick that is very like cringe inducing and disturbing. Nick is feeling in that moment like he earned that. It's like, oh yes. Exactly. Society yes. told me that I did all of the steps. I was the nice guy. Like, oh my God. Nick is so that part, like you said, is so relate that part's like oh, painfully like, oh I guess I kinda was like that. And kind of felt like, oh, if I was the nice one amongst the group of terrible people, then I would earn something like that. It's like, no, but People are like girls are humans, <laughs> and it, in a way, it's a product of society at, at his time. And then telling him like, "Yeah, masculinity is good, and if you can be a man, then you can get your bra off, and that's how you get to A to B to C." Um, right, and it, it it is a really um a really important and timely reflection on consent and yeah. on the idea that like can you know like you can never assume consent, and you can never assume like I'm a 
like you can never assume like I'm a good guy. And so I like I would never be the guy who is doing something that somebody doesn't want me to do. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. Um, and I, I, like ev- everybody there is the danger of everybody being the person who goes a step too far without actually checking with the person they're with this to ask if something is OK. I think in the in the episode, though, it's more used as a contrast to the relationship between uh, what's his name again? Jason Siegel's character and Kim. Where it's like, oh, like they don't, they don't even like each other, and they're doing sex stuff, and it's like, what? You mean James Franco's character? James Franco. Oh my God, what did I say? Jason Segel. No, Jason Segel. Yeah, where James Franco and Kim, where it's just like, what? They're just, they're just making out in my bed. Like I want to be. Like she's like romanticizing that in her head, and she's like, I want to be able to make out with someone in a bed. Like that seems great. And then this like harsh bit of reality of like, no, is it great? Like, did you? Were you okay? Did you okay, Nick, on that? I don't think you did. Like this doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't go both ways. And then obviously sure. the realization that's very obvious to the viewer, but not yet to Lindsay, which is that uh, uh, James Franco and Kim's characters don't – their relationship is terrible. It's like incredibly caustic to yeah. both of them and really unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she's kind of having that moment with – when he tries to take her bra off of like, oh, man, relationships are hard. This is not going the right way. Um, but in a way yeah. it is saved later in the show. I know for a fact as like – their relationship between her and Nick kind of gets a chance to backpedal right. on that scene. It's not unsalvageable, but it, it like it's just a reminder that you there's always the chance that you could overstep the bounds if you're not constantly vigilant about checking in with the person that you with you're with and making sure that like what you're doing is okay. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, um I I want to I I want to kind of talk about Jason Siegel's character and and Neil Nick and Neil in parallel, but we can backpedal some to some other stuff if you, if you want to do that first. Well, most of that stuff happens at the part. Oh, yeah, because it happens at the party. Yeah, yeah, that's like talking towards about. the end of the episode. So let's get to the party. Um, I don't have a ton of stuff for this episode just because it kind of is very linear. Uh, there is that scene of the improv, which um. It's funny oh for a couple my of reasons. God. It's funny for a oh lot of reasons. Oh my god. Madonna, is it it's in- installment two of Millie being involved in a thing that I've done in high school slash college that it's like not done quite right. That's not how improv works. It sounds really, really scripted and awkward. Like Yeah, I mean it I actually really appreciated the improv scenes because that is a thing that exists, is troops who do improv to like raise awareness um, for things raise awareness for things yeah um and actually like the obviously their physicality and their acting was pretty bad but the jokes in their improv were actually pretty funny if you take as a given that they're making them up on the spot um so weirdly i like had i had a little respect for this stupid improv troupe because it was clear that they like practiced their format a lot yeah um and it also was very – it felt very truthful that Cindy play is always the one waiting on the back line to be the third character to step in and, like, fix everything because yeah. she's so perfect. Um, and Millie is always the character who's um, forwarding the kind of overt moral message. So that, that stuff I, I thought was funny and it was different. Um, and Jeff in there as well conducting all of it um I th- yeah i thought that was really hilarious and really fun but it's just nah improv it's not improv yeah. speaking <laughs> john's an improv head if you can't already tell uh what's it called i i didn't i totally didn't pick up on the fact that like 
I don't know if I didn't why I didn't realize this when I was watching this the first time. I didn't know what improv was, and I was like, oh, they're just acting a scene. Like it, it makes yeah. sense that this is a scripted scene, but it's not, and that's why there's that dimension of like, oh, that's interesting that they're doing it this way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and. I like to think that moments like this and moments where the show plays with like people doing comedy within it. Um, and like, for example, Bill during that assembly is just reading a comically large copy of cracked magazine. <laughs> um, <laughs> I like to think that Judd Apatow accidentally or intentionally seeded uh, these actors uh, interests in comedy and improvisation because a lot of them ended up going into comedy in the future and improv in particular and so hmm. I see these scenes and I'm like oh was that like one of the first moments that they thought about this stuff and then you know made a career out of it in the future and then hmm. like no, no, I mean Apatow and Feig obviously uh, but like huh that's kind of like cool that they were starting to do it in a show that is not about like doing comedy stuff and then they went on most a lot of them went on to do very funny things with improv and whatnot yeah um Speaking of magazines, uh, later when we're at Sam's locker and the two boys come up to his locker, he does have a copy of Time Magazine with Darth Vader on the cover. Sam is very cool. (laughs) (laughs) I love all of the references to the culture because I don't think that they feel too like, it's 1980, which it doesn't feel like they're being that overt with that stuff. Yeah. Like, Bill watches Dallas because, of course, he does because it's a show that's a little bit old for him. But he's, like, probably just trying to understand it. And he's like, I get it. Like, oh, JR, you can't do that. Uh, and, like, probably, like, revels in the fact that he's watching, like, a cool adult, like, soap opera-y, western-y show. Yeah. Um, those, like, little mem- mem- moments. Um, and so Lindsay leaves the assembly, which I, I also like the idea I- that they do, like, a weekly assembly where they do stuff like PSAs and these little, like, short messages. Because we got that. I don't think we-, we didn't get that weekly, but we did get that every once in a while. And it was like, oh, there's an assembly. Which was mostly exciting because it meant you got to miss some of a class. And then we totally did get, at some point, a like PSA play or whatever about drunk driving. Which, yeah, mm-hmm. you're supposed to do that in high school. That makes sense. Um, and then we get that really good moment of Sam talking to Lindsay at home. And he's like, uh, and then at assembly today, they did this, this, this. And then at assembly today, blah, 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 just like losing track of his own <laughs> sentence. <laughs> She's like, why yeah. am I listening to you? She turns him because at this point. She leaves uh, to go, like, get Alfred to go to host a party. And, of course, Lindsay says, yeah, let's do a party. Like, I want to be cool. My parents are going to be out of the house. And um, so she's sitting up for the party when he's talking to her. And he's, she's like, why am I listening to you? <laughs> like, why are we letting this scene progress? <laughs> um, so Lindsay immediately gives into the peer pressure and says, oh, I guess we could throw a party. And, like, in a way that feels very appropriate to Lindsay's character, uh, spends like so much of the episode preparing. Like a lot of this episode is, is built on yeah. the, the tension of like, what am I going to do? Like, who's going to come? I got to like put the right paintings up. So the place looks like it's a party, which is like uh-huh. something I could imagine myself doing if I ever hosted a party. Right. Uh, like I need to have the right vibe. And then she makes so many snacks, <laughs> like, like multiple <laughs> plates of cookies, which is like not a good alcohol party food. And then, like, 18 bags of chips, and it's just, like, cartoonishly a lot. Um, and she's all excited. And uh, when she's taught, she's in class later in, like, a math class. One of the dumb teens later is, like, hits her and then goes, party, party. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, I love, I love the idea that this high school is so small that everyone knows about the party and everyone's excited for it because their lives are so um, ho-hum that, like, the one thing a week where they're going to go and drink shitty beer at, like, a kid's house is like the highlight of their life they're all of them are like this is gonna be great yeah um 
and she gets called out of that uh, meeting for an emergent a family emergency. And again, if that was if that was Nick who did that, that's really fucked up. That he was like, yeah, family yeah, emergency. <laughs> yeah, he's just like, no, just kidding. We just need you to come pick the keg up with us. And you're like, fuck, like, you're horrible. You just mm-hmm. gave her like a panic attack, and her brain cannot function because of that 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 worry. Like I always dreaded getting the like phone call during class. Although. The idea of there's an emergency phone call for you is very outdated in a good way. <laughs> like, right. You don't yeah. have a phone, so we need to like give a you the physical. A physical person has to go to the classroom and tell the teacher. Tell the teacher to tell the kid to go to the room with the phone and then answer <laughs> the phone in that <laughs> other room. Yeah, so we, we're getting to, taken out of class, and then we move to our geeks who have a, have a little schema, have a little plan. They uh they don't want everybody drinking this bad juice because the bad juice makes you bad and c- can like kill you and stuff. So instead they're like, what if we put some fake bad juice in there and they won't know. It'll be great. Which, by the way, we'll talk about if that plan actually works well or makes sense. Um, but they decide that they're going to get a keg of non-alcoholic beer to replace the normal beer with. By the way, using Neil's bar mitzvah money, which is hilarious because yep. uh, A, yes. uh, reminds us that he's Jewish just so they get to make a couple of Jewish jokes, which whatever. They're not like offensively bad. There's a moment later where he's at the party where he's offensively dumb. Uh, but like also he's he just talks like- talks to a black guy and says that it's it's just as bad to be a Jew. We're not anyway. so- d- <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. We're not so Jewish different, person. you and I. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> okay so good it's so bad uh but i like that he, i don't know why he says every time we have a dumb plan you use my bar mitzvah money and it's like dog you had one there's no way you got like several hundred dollars out of it and you're like slowly seeding it <laughs> for the last couple of years. i don't know man i think you get a lot of money in a bar mitzvah do you i'm pretty sure you get like a lot of money and he says, I love that he goes, no, I was going to save it. I was going to go backpacking across Europe. And it's like, Neil, you're like 15. Like, you're, you're a baby. What are you doing? Um, and then, yeah, they go to the liquor store. And very cool uh, convenience store owner. Very creepy. Very greasy looking. Is like, what do you want? And they're like, we're here to buy some beer. Like idiots. And he's like, no, shut up. That good, good try. And they're like, no, we're here to buy non-alcoholic beer. And I really wanted him to just be like, no, that doesn't exist. What are you asking me? <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> You're being stupid. And then they're yeah. just honest. And they say, yeah, we're going to use it to replace the beer at our, my sister's party so that no one gets drunk. And he goes, righteous, rock on. Like, just gives <laughs> I loved him. that. Uh, I loved that. Also, moment when they walk in and they're like, I don't feel good in a liquor store. People always get shot in liquor stores, which is like, the geeks watched RoboCop <laughs> once or twice. <laughs> like... <laughs> He watched a bunch of 80s action films. Um, and yeah, so, okay. Is non-alcoholic beer a thing? Yeah, I think so. Can you buy a keg of it? Probably. Interesting. That just seemed weird to me. Also weird that they drag it in a wagon. <laughs> That's how you transport kegs, I think. The doy. It was like a Red rider, <laughs> like, adorable little wagon. And they're like, no, Bill, cover it with your jacket so nobody oh, sees God. it. <laughs> That's funny, yeah. So silly. Um, and then... Yeah, we get to the party. So at this point, you know, everyone's like, oh, you know, I think uh, James Franco's character is like, oh, I'm going to invite a couple of my cousins, which, of course, 
they come and it's that really weird scene where they're all like 50 60 years old and yeah uh he's like oh okay you can come in and then kim like hugs them like she's known them for years but like in a sexual way like the, uh it's weird it's gross and he, like, picks her up and spanks her yeah, or something yeah like, like grabs like, her Ugh. butt and then like carries her up and she's like no but really yes it's like very weird um and uh sam uh, or what's it called neil is talking about like oh what kind of music are you gonna play and she's like oh, i think i was just gonna play some like rock music some zeppelin whatever and he's like you know chicago's got a really hot horn section <laughs> such a <laughs> that was the moment here where i wrote sam levine has the facial acting capability of a 40 year old uh yep he just acts old like physically acts older than his age which is also funny because he is very short and to this day is still fairly short uh mm-hmm. but like has the face of someone much older and does like uses it really well kind of reminds me of the dad from american pie a little bit i have not seen american pie same sort of like silly vibe yeah 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 where he's just yeah i i i think i know what you're talking about i get the vibe and of course this is the part where it's like all this high school is small all of the side characters are here like the ableist guy who maybe was making fun of eli and uh millie comes in and is like uh i don't recommend this but i'm gonna i love that she's like i'm gonna have more fun than all of you (laughs) yeah like she still wants to be at the party yeah she Lindsay's like you can leave and she's like no i'm staying it's like uh (laughs) okay um you told your mom you're going to hang out with Lindsay and you're going to stay at this party for a couple hours. Like get over it. <laughs> Millie clearly wanted to be there. She clearly wanted right. to be there. Um, Very like really interesting uh, interplay with that theme that we've been talking about, about like self-presentation where she actively wants to be seen as the person who's abstaining from alcohol. And she makes a big scene around singing at the piano and kind of telling people that she's high on life. I just, I, re- I really enjoyed Millie at the party because um, she was vulnerable and naive in a way that I appreciated a lot. And hey, Jesus is just all right. Mm. And that very honest, like, nice moment where she's singing Jesus is just all right. And you expect her to get like made fun of and laughed at, but then they like join in, or at least like I think Ken joins in or someone. Nick does. Oh, Nick does. You're right. And it's like, oh, this is cute. Like we're going to have like a little duet kind of thing. This works. Um, even though he's completely fake drunk and uh, and she's trying to have a good time. I got big um, laughs out of every time a character was like, I'm so wasted. It's it's because it's you can never, like the whole joke is it's a placebo and they're all acting drunk even though they're not because they're drinking the fake beer. Uh, but like it's hard to tell the difference between are they acting drunk because they're teens acting drunk or is it because they're not acting well? Like, I mean, they're not like the joke is that none of them are really drunk. Right. So they're not doing the yeah, actors are not none doing of them drunk are acting. drunk. They're doing fake drunk yeah. acting. So in that way, yeah. it's like pretty multidimensional and kind of good uh, the way that they're like, yeah. Oh, my God. I'm crazy. Um, yeah. Like I drank four and I don't I'm barely buzzed. And he's like, nice, dude. Rock on. <laughs> like, um, uh, I wrote here, Lindsay to Daniel's. Oh, Daniel. There we go. Damn, Daniel. That's James Franco's character. <laughs> Back at it again with the being the named character later <laughs> on in the episode. Then everybody else is named, and then, the, and then we're gonna say your name again, Daniel. He says, "She says, I hate these old men. I hate these old men." <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> there's a good tracking shot through the party, continuing that the fact that this show is very well directed. I 
I'm going to jump over the Neil uh, Black guy scene real quick because I want to talk about the guy who is the old man. Like the, the old men in this sort of party are the funniest people there because one of them like gently nudges Ken and it's like, you want to fight? And then they like have that weirdly serious, like everyone's crowding around them. Are they going to kill each other? And then mm-hmm. uh, Daniel's like, no, no, go hold, hold him back. Hold him back. But also secret best character at the party is the guy who just wants to be punched in the stomach. <laughs> just... just fuck me up (laughs) how hard can you hit me and then neil hits him like really gently and he's like that was crazy (laughs) (laughs) so funny but yeah so at one point we get it because this is a lot of like interstitial like here's a here's one moment uh neil is talking to a black guy and says hey we could trade places i have it harder than you what neil no (laughs) the black guy's like no you don't like come the black guy's clearly very much talking down to him like what do you what what are you saying Say no, like you know, the Jews, black people—it's all kind of. We're all kind of persecuted. It's like no, stop, stop, stop. <laughs> Red flag, Neil, stop. What are you saying? Very smart, very smart piece of dialogue there. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it does not excuse the show just being so white, but it at least there's acknowledgement of it in the second episode. Yeah, in a way that's self-aware. Exactly. And self-critical, yeah. Neil spends a lot of this party kind of like becoming less cool uh, and, and kind of like unselling yeah. me on his character because he does that and he's like trying to be cool with everyone. He does like the dumb punch. And then he we, we learn that he has a big crush on Lindsay, which is uh, makes perfect sense. Right. It's kind of, I was almost like bummed out at how of course that is. Yeah. Like, of course, you're going to have a crush on the older sister of your best friend who's like a really cool person duh and of course your friends are going to be making fun of you for it the whole time yeah and then it was like the crush was kind of sweet but also i think played into played into her scenes with nick in a really interesting way because neil and nick are filling similar archetypes here right yeah of a dude who thinks that he's a nice dude and he's doing the right thing yeah. But going about that in different ways. And I, I guess we're supposed to read Neil as more humble or yes. maybe more accepting of the fact that, like, it's not going to work. But in my experience, like, I've kind of been that guy, too, where it's like, ah, like, I, you know, I like her, but, like, of course it's not going to work. And that's not really a better guy to be. No. In all honesty. Like, you're still being a shitty guy who's still expecting something. Even if you're telling yourself that you're not expecting something, you're still expecting something. And she she humors him. She, like, kisses him on the cheek and, and stuff. It's like, oh, okay. It's, it's a moment where Lindsay is just stressed out because she is putting on mask after mask, trying to be a cool party host and be cool with Daniel. And she clearly has this, like, sort of burgeoning crush with Daniel. But also Nick likes her and she wants to be nice to him and keep friends with him. Uh, like she's putting on all these masks and she's just being. And I think she likes Nick too, but then he really, you know, cheesed it hard. Well, yeah. And but what I'm getting at is like both Nick and Neil are taking advantage of that vulnerability and that like excessive amount of masking that she's doing and yeah. trying to get to a similar point. But like the show kind of wants us to be okay with Neil because his moment where he calls the police is very much seen as like, good job, Neil. Like you did it. You saved the day. And it's like, you just, you called the police and also just like confessed your love. Like she was going to say anything. And all she did was kind of like roll her eyes and be like, what? Like, 
<laughs> no, <laughs> like, it's great that you've had a crush on me forever, but I don't even, like, I'm not, I have bigger things to worry about. And he calls yeah. the police and then gets the party shut down, and then the episode just, like, kind of quickly brushes it under the rug. But our last scene with Nick is the bra scene. So that's why I'm like, I hope that this show isn't trying to make us like Neil for that, but also showing like, oh, it was never going to work anyway, so maybe it's fine. Yeah, I mean, I think it's the show's trying, they're trying to clear the air with Neil. They're trying to show him as like a little more vulnerable because so far he's just been the sort of glib, middle-aged best friend to Sam. Um, So we kind of see him like fuck up a little bit, but still have the best intentions in a way that's really charming. And sure, he's like being a shitty nice guy dude, but he's doing it in a way that's like still very respectful and obviously way more respectful than what Nick was doing. Um, yeah. So I think they're doing this examination of like that trope of the dude who feels entitled, but looking at it from different angles to kind of make a point about like, there's a way to do this that's really bad. And there's a way to do this that's annoying and bad and hurts yourself, but is going to ultimately get the people out of this house and end the bad situation. Right. Yeah. And I don't want to say I hate Neil. Again, Neil is the character that I feel like most closely lines up with who I was in high school. Um, So it's hard for me to just be like, Neil sucks. But yeah, I agree with you on all of that. Um, Just a couple other notes from the party, if you don't mind. Uh, We do see Cindy. This was the moment I was talking about earlier where uh, she comes to the party and you immediately are put into uh, Sam's shoes. You're like, whoa, like... I I had this really frequent sort of, I don't know if it's an anxiety or just this like re- uh, recurring thought that all of the people I knew in high school, despite being cool to me and like very chill and nice to me, were like secretly all friends with each other. And either not that they talked shit about me, but they all like did really horrible stuff when I wasn't around. Yes. Uh, yeah. I know you're just like, oh, like my friends are cool because I see them outside of school, but the people I don't see outside of school could be doing anything. They could be killing yeah. people. They could be. So th- that moment when I saw Cindy was like, oh, God, she goes to all the parties, doesn't she? She's secretly like, I really wanted that to be that moment where Sam comes like, oh, shit. Like she drinks, which, you know, when you're in high school, seems like the biggest deal. Uh, mm-hmm. But then, of course, of course, he's like, oh, you're here. And she's like, yeah. And you're like, oh. And then she goes, yeah, I'm here with my cousin. She's the drinker. I'm the designated driver. And you're like, fuck. <laughs> come on <laughs> just let me let's let's mess up cindy <laughs> come on <laughs> let's make her more yeah comp- complex and risky for sam i guess because then sam does the thing which again hashtag relatable he the way he flirts with her is she's sitting on the other side of the room and he stares at her until she looks at him which is so something i've done before <laughs> like and she doesn't look at him. He just keeps staring in that way of like, as soon as she looks, I'm going to change my face and look casual. As soon as she looks, and then she doesn't look, and he's like, damn it. <laughs> now I just look like a weirdo, which is true. Um, Sam is someone who I really want to keep up with. Um, fortunately, the show is very yeah, weird-centric. Like a, so. About him, yeah. Yeah. Um, Lindsay sees Daniel and Kim uh, kind of having like not sex in her uh, bedroom. Um, yeah, she kind of is just like, they were making out on my bed, and in my head I'm thinking, they were fucking on your bed, right? Yeah. Prob- maybe. Well, they were, I don't know. They were probably fucking with clothes on then, if that is what that was. Um, well, she caught them like at the beginning. Also, I don't possible. know. Yeah. I mean, it, it's... They seem like character. They, they seem like mature characters like who... Beyond their years, even. Yeah. Who are being presented to us as like, they're adults who do like adult stuff. Like, fuck. Um... Yeah, because there's people who make out throughout the party, but they're the ones on the bed. 
Yeah. It's it I I really appreciate how it seems very deliberate the way that um people were cast in terms of their age. Like Sam is I think at this time I looked it up and John Francis Daly is like more or less the age of Sam at this point. I think he was maybe 15 when they filmed. We can look up these numbers later. Um Martin Starr and Sam Levine were like a little bit older and looked young and then the freaks are all people who look like grown ass dudes, basically. Like James Franco looks like old adult James Franco. Yeah, I mean that's a very um, good casting of them because I don't actually know how old he was, but uh, yeah. it's definitely. So this was eighteen years ago, we could say approximately. James Franco's currently yeah, so he was twenty, which yeah, he's way he's older than high school. Um, yeah, so they do it. They do the typical thing where like college age people are cast as as older high schoolers, which I think works. Um, also, I just want, I think this is like the only role I've seen James Franco in where I was like, yes, perfect. Nailed it. Like, yeah. This is, he is the right guy for this. That like distant, but like probably kind of dumb if you really got to know him, uh, like stoner type, um, who has like a lot of opinions, but like doesn't talk much. He isn't the chatty one. He's just like the handsome one. Um, yeah. And the smile is like, so, bizarre yeah i mean that's like in the theme you know like the, like the little smile twitch he's got that weird he's got a weird smile yeah. i think this show in a lot of ways led to him sort of being typecast as like the handsome james dean of our era which is like not accurate i wouldn't say that right um i think in terms of being attracted to james franco he's like a five out of ten because he looks kind of gross <laughs> hmm. but i usually do like men of his type so i'm kind of like conflicted uh, I never, I never usually see the, the resemblance between him and Dave Franco, but in this show, I see it a lot. Yeah, like yeah. Well, Daniel, yeah. his actions are are a lot remind me a lot of Dave Franco. Yes, who is more becoming the he's like at that age now, I think, or if not, a little bit older yeah. already. Um, but I digress. Uh, I really want to see more of Daniel and Kim's relationship because it's one of the most weirdly adult things on the show. And the fact that Lindsay's like, I thought they were broken up. And then Ken's like, no, that's, they do it like weekly. Like it's not the way their relationship works is being on or off means nothing. It's, it's again, it's what they present because when Kim sees the old man outside, uh, they go, Oh, aren't you with Daniel? And she goes, Oh, I dumped that clown. Like she tells multiple people she dumped him because she's proud to say that she did the action of dumping him. Um, yeah, but she didn't, <laughs> or if she did, then it meant nothing because like minutes later they're having sex in the bedroom. So, uh, clearly the ideas of like commitment to them are not at all set in stone and they're just kind of like trying things out, which yeah, is, definitely. yeah, um, that is pretty much most of it. Cause the rest of the episode is just like, ah, and then the, the police come and the parents come home and everyone kind of has a good time. But up, up, so that, um, I believe was beers and weirs yeah gentlemen yes sir uh i would like a little bit of a look into what we're watching next time on freaks chats <laughs> okay well i'll give you that little bit of a look now won't i you want me to read these episode summaries for you please do please do john bonham once told me that planet netflix is a real place where we all live and we need to go there and experience uh what is coming up next Tried to make that sound deep and interesting. It did not. Uh, John, yeah, tell me. Tell me what's coming up next time on Freeze Chats. Next episode, we're watching episodes three and four of Freaks and Geeks. The first, episode three, 
is called Tricks and Treats. Sam convinces Bill and Neil to trick-or-treat on Halloween, but they end up embarrassed while Lindsay and her friends wreak havoc in the neighborhood. Oh, I remember TP being a big thing in this episode. I believe it. And then episode four, Kim Kelly is my friend. Kim's friend Karen bullies Sam and calls him a geek. Kim invites Lindsay to dinner at her house, exposing Lindsay to the abuse Kim takes at home. There you go. So already we're going to get into that more realistic grounded side of Kim, which is cool. This was an episode early on that I remember watching and being like, I think I I think this is like the first episode that really, really locked it in for me as an amazing show. Kim Kelly is my friend. I'm not exactly sure why, because it's been been a while, but we're going to find out next week. Uh, It's time for some plugs real quick. Uh, Since this is a new podcast, we got to do it. Uh... You can follow the podcast at ChatsPod, spelled C-H-A-T-Z-P-O-D, on Twitter. You can send us emails to our brand spanking new email account. It's ChatsPod, spelled the same way, at gmail.com. We'll be taking questions, and if we get enough, I mean, frankly, uh, we'll might just do like a question-answer segment in the middle of the episode discussions if we get Yeah, enough. we'd love to. We'd love to hear, I would love to hear the kind of memories or thoughts about growing up about high school that these different episodes bring up for you so yeah feel free to get personal with it it can be like as anonymous as you want as brief or as detailed as you want but i'd love to hear people's stories about like homecoming dances and high school parties and like crushes and successes and failures and whatever like all this sort of stuff um, yeah love to hear it uh, and me too and uh you can follow me on twitter at Alan Ibrahim, spelled A-L-L-E-N-I-B-R-A-H-I-M. Magellan? You can find me on Twitter at Justafluke. That's J-U-S-T-A-P-F-L-U-K-E. Woo! That was a fun one. Long one, man. <laughs> um, <sighs> but it was our first one, so we had a whole heck of a lot to say. Whole heck of a lot. And uh, that's going to do it for Freaks Chats Episode 1. We will see you next week.